I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. I'm delighted to be with you again. We've got a slightly different take in terms of education today because I'm joined by Jason Sheftel. Now, he's an expert on China. He has a podcast all about China and he's got this sort of amazing experience and, and sort of real insight into where learning comes from within this sort of international perspective. And of course, I know that we have a global audience. And so I thought actually there's a little bit of uh, insight, a little bit of discussion about something which is not something that we've sort of touched on before. So I hope you enjoy this. This is my conversation with Jason Sheftel. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. We haven't done very many country-specific podcasts. We also haven't done very much where we're talking about learning globally as a sense of of kind of where things are produced in terms of how things are put together in terms of actually how our learning and our understanding of, of learning comes together. So I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation. So yeah, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about that background then. I know China specifically is something which is incredibly important to you and, and sort of give us a little bit of that journey. Sure. So three parts kind of go into what I do and how I came to do what I do. Uh, the China part, is old, right? So I've been interested in China as far back as I can remember. And then around 11 years ago now, I went to China for the first time. And I got eventually got a scholarship to study in China. I uh, I studied at the university in Beijing, learned the language, lived there, etc. And so that's a, been a big part of it and a very special time in China when they were expecting to take over the world. So it was an interesting time to be there. And then I also starting in 2010, I got a heavy introduction basically to geography, sort of geography in the sense of this, how do we make sense of this globalized world where there's supply chains everywhere and you're getting production here and you're selling things there and your your workers are all over the world. It's a really, really complex thing to try and understand and geography was the best way to do it. And then for over 10 years, I've been focused on, well, kind of the combination of those two things. It's a lot of land development, uh, basically development, international development and law. So how do we make this work? How do you get this country to work with this company? How does this thing get produced there? How do you have mines or minerals extracted here? How do you do that in a way that supports the rights of the people who are there and supports the global system? All these really complex things that we haven't really figured out great answers to, kind of just making it work as we go. And then the last five years, I've basically put together a lot of what I've learned into a, a book and a podcast and other things. I talk specifically about China because China is kind of the country that globalization built. It's the house that globalization built. It's this massive, massive country that came together right now because of all these things we're talking about that was finally possible for the first time. And kind of what happened there, what's going to happen is a great way to feel out how to understand the world and why it's spatially arranged the way it is, which is what I focus on. 
and I think from from a learning and an education and even a school point of view, I think I'm not even sure I remember these sorts of conversations from that sense of, you know, do we even know how some of the things that we're learning affect other countries in that way? And also very much in terms of how interlinked they all are in terms of, of how, how life works in, in terms of either from a learning process or in terms of like say what we're buying or in terms of how our life looks and, and how we can actually gauge what our future is going to look like in terms of this is what I'm studying here and this is going to be affected by I'm going to be working in this scenario with this company but that's going to be maybe across multiple countries and multiple languages and multiple yeah. systems and all that kind of thing and that from a you know from an education point of view is a, is a standpoint which is very different to kind of what subjects do you want to take it um a level or GCSE mm-hmm yeah well I was just gonna say that I think that there's a this is one of those really comprehensive frameworks that gets lost when we're breaking our education down into different pieces. So that's at the pre-university level when you're taking all A levels, O levels, all that kind of stuff. Uh, or in the United States, if you're doing your AP courses and you're preparing for college and you're doing physics and you know doing math and calculus and history and whatever. But the one of the I think that geography in particular is one of these master frameworks. It's a great historian. Uh, Alan, I actually forget his last name, but he wrote great books about civilization and history and how to think about it. And he wrote this line that I always think about that says that geography is the matrix of history. So it's the place where all this stuff happened. So trying to figure out why things appear where they do, why does a city appear where it does? Why is London where it is? Why does London rule the, the British Isles? Right? And answering these questions, the Nile, all these river civilizations we learn about, we learn about, oh, ancient Egypt was on the Nile. China was on the Yellow River and the Yangtze. The United States is basically on the Mississippi. So what's going on? Why? And we could really build our knowledge all the way up from there. But what's happened is that we were basically taught geography like, oh, well, here's the capital of this place and that place and this and that. And Americans don't know anything about geography in particular, which is always ironic because we invade. I think we've invaded basically every country on the planet. But it's, it's a tough thing. But the real question isn't like, oh, where's the capital city of a small county or, like, or a capital uh, of a small county or a small state in the United States? It's why. Why is the capital city located there? That's the question we never ask. And then we all just kind of ditch it. And what happens is that history becomes just massive details where we don't have a framework to, to put it together. And so it just ends up like I have a great example before I kind of really dived in, dove into the stuff. I learned a lot about Russia, read a like 800 page book on Russia, but it all just fell through. It all just fell through the cracks because it's just all these details, all these people. But the actual framework, the, the ground for, for where it was all happening was still a mystery. And I guess that's really, really the key, isn't it? Even if you just look at your local community where you're learning, it's that kind of, you know, um, I, I grew up in, in in the West Country here in England, you know, and it was very much a mining, a mining town. You know, my grandparents were involved in that. And you think you then start to see what's going on around you in terms of the types of shops and, and the types of communities that are building up and, and the types of you know the health of of um of any sort of community based on on the, those types of jobs that they've had and, and like I say that very much in terms of what's in the ground especially if you're talking about mining and how that then yeah. sort of progresses through to the sorts of businesses that built that build up around it rather than just kind of it's in the west of England kind of thing <laughs> yeah and I mean England really has one of those glorious histories because it's where the industrial revolution happened it's where where so much happened and 
you're really right that the everything you see around you, the specific shops, the the industries, the companies, the businesses, even styles of you know families and everything, they really do come from what was possible, right? Like if we lived in the Arctic, we wouldn't have any of this stuff, right? If we lived in part really really difficult parts of tropical Africa or South America, it's we don't you don't get this the same uh, sort of stuff, and it's it's really proud it's really powerful and very profound. And I wish, I mean, I wish I'd learned this stuff when I was a when I was a kid. I, I think it's just one of these great frameworks that can help everyone. But unfortunately, we lived in a world where since the 80s and 90s. So this is going on 40 years now. I mean, it's, it's breaking down now, but we lived in a world where all the differences and the little peculiarities of regions were washed away. And we were taught that everything is, the world is becoming flat and nothing matters and, and all that. And what happened is we lost touch with why things happened where they did. And then when things are gone and the, the mining in a certain region is gone, the industry is gone, we don't have resilient economies that can really rebound in the same way they used to for various reasons and so you end up with a deep absence and it's always a challenge well it was mining and it was destroying the land a little bit and it was taking all these resources and people weren't in the best health but there was something there and often you get you get just a, a decline that doesn't lead to something newer or better and that's really difficult to to deal with too and we got to be honest with people we got to tell them why did the jobs in the middle you know and a lot of jobs in the midlands or a lot of jobs in the rust belt in the united states why did they disappear it's really it's become very politicized, but the more we can give context for this complex world and all the different nations and all these animosities, the more we can you know, we give people a sense of the way it really is, the less we'll have crazy talk <laughs> about what's what secret plots are really under underfoot that are making things happen this way. And I think it's it's that it's that sort of double edged sword, isn't it? Because like you say, it's about relationships. But the thing about globalization has been, of course, these relationships have gone lots of different ways now. It's that kind of how's my life gonna progress because I've been taught by this person or I know the person up the road who's got this business or they know someone who can talk to me about something that I'm interested in. And that kind of very sort of localized idea of there's one step after another step and seeing how your future kind of progresses to that sense of, but also this company is now, you know, being um, providing something which is built in the other side of the world or, or your example of kind of, I studied in China. That's kind of, well, how does that happen in terms of from where you start and where you grow up to then sort of making that kind of decision and that influence that it has on your life. So I'm, um, just talk me through that that kind of what your sense of that kind of localized idea of learning compared to the fact that you know we're a global civilization now and and you literally can go anywhere and they are so connected yeah i think that e even having been you know tra traveled and learned and, and lived and studied on, on multiple con three continents uh four i still think the key to learning for me and for, for most people i i know that have been very successful is just Learning is just, it's about people and it's about learning with, through, or for someone who you have a deep, who has a personal, you have a personal relationship with and can help and cares about you, right? And so actually, it's not just, when I think about my time in China, I don't think about China in the, I think about a, a multiple specific people who I got very close to, gave me an understanding of a country, a sense of its personality, its characteristics, its history. I think the the local element always, always matters. And more than any, I, you know, my personal experience, having done all that, I think that having strong relationships in the 
the local place where you're learning, you don't have to go all around the world. I mean, depending on what you, what you want to do, it can be very helpful, very eye-opening. But really strengthening the the learning you're doing where you are is very, very important. I think that people who do, I'm a big fan of online courses and all that, but you have to be very self-disciplined and self-motivated to do it. And it's just, I see a lot of people who have you know great energy, but it's it's much easier to focus it and to, to really absorb information in this large scale, organic way, almost like you're a child. If you're, if you're with doing it with people that you like or teachers who seem to have an interest in you, I do worry about these technological shifts or uh, location shifts just taken away from the importance of humans learning from other humans. I mean, learning a language and learning all that stuff when we were a kid, I feel like that's the model. And we just, you just do it with people who are, seem to be taking an interest in you, talking to you. And I, I know that's, it doesn't sound as grand, but I think a lot, I also think a lot of the the heyday of like the globalized thing and everybody going all around the world and all this, it's become a bit of a industry. It's just become one of these things where, you know, it's kind of like the conferences in a business context. It's like all those business conferences, everybody goes all around the world and they do all this stuff, but they don't actually get anything done. They're just going to these conference rooms and they're all talking there and they could be talking on Zoom. There's something very similar that's happened with with education. I think if you, like, I focus specifically on that specific place and why it is the way it is and how it developed and why and how it relates to the world. So for me, I think it was really, it, it really did knit together because I was, that the specific place mattered a lot, um, place and the people, but that's what I'd focus on. I think it's the the people first and then the place. And and I think it, it always reminds me of that kind of, when you're a toddler and, 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 and you watch that sort of age group learning, it's it's a lot of trial and error but i think also when you're the adult in that environment as well you're talking you're explaining in a very i mean yes they're a child and yes you're the adult but there's something about the the relationship there and the way that you go about it and you talk about things and sort of by osmosis almost you know the child learns and they learn massively and and very fast and absorb all this information and then we go away and we start school and then we start learning and yeah. it just seems it seems slightly amazing that there isn't some kind of continuation and and I, I don't know we get older and therefore you know our the way we learn can does develop and and can be different but it seems to be a little bit chalk and cheese to the to, to like what you were saying you know if you want to go in and learn about a particular culture or certain way you go and immerse yourself in you talk to people you you're part of the community you're involved in society and and it's that kind of way of learning which i think I don't know. There's something much more organic and much more natural about it. Yeah, I think that early phase where we're just learning so much. I mean, you look back on it and you're like, wow, I learned to walk and talk and do all this. I learned about every little object in the world around me, like every single little thing. It's very remarkable and we kind of forget it, but there's something about that period. I think you're right, where you have a lot of trial and error. There's an acceptance of failure. And ideally, you're surrounded by personal relationships, familial relationships where you feel, uh, you know, appreciated, acknowledged, cared for, and you have that space to really do that trial and error. And there's, you, you can accept the failure. I think that the the older you get, the more easy it is, even older, just elementary school, middle school, forward, whatever that is in, in Britain, if you say it differently. Uh, it's, it's very easy to be absorbed instead of feeling like you're a part of a, a community where you can try out all these things and you'll be you'd be able to get on with yourself and not feel attacked or uncomfortable. 
we get this extreme self-consciousness that develops and people lose yeah. that, you know, they start to really narrow themselves. They're like, oh, well, I'm just a, I'm a basketball guy or I'm a, you know, I'm a music guy or I'm a whatever it is. And this full spectrum development disappears. I had a, a great friend of mine who said that, you know, at some point in your life, the only way to learn, you have to, you have to learn like a tree. You can't learn this narrow, narrow, specialized way. You can't develop one branch at a time. You have to develop all the whole thing grows as one. And it happens in a way where you don't really see it. You don't see it, th these specific developments. And you look back and that's kind of how it was as a child. It, you're, you're just grow you're growing so much. It's like, it's, you, you wait two years, like, oh my God, look, this is a different creature. The, it's the tree, the, you know, the branches are huge. The trunk is so much thicker, it, but it's all of it is one. And I think that's kind of the ideal that I look to, especially the more complex the things you're trying to understand are the more you, you need to have a grasp of so many different things, the, the more a challenge it is to just learn any component part. Yeah, I love that analogy. And and it, and it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because it's not like, like you said, you're talking to a child and it's like, well, until you can say that word perfectly, I'm not going to tell you any other word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, 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 that was wrong. Stop there. Wait. Yeah, we're going to stop there, right? No, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous. You just, you go with it. And in a business context, so for a lot of entrepreneurs and people like that, you're always just you know, trying to make it work and doing what you can. And it, it, you just, and you keep going and you keep pushing forward. And eventually you learn how the word is said. You learn how that process needs to happen. You learn how that communication should go. And we need a, we do need to create a space where people can grow in that way. Otherwise we end up with stunted little trees. Absolutely. And, 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 and one of the things I guess you'll, you'll know, having had this sort of breadth of experience across, like say, multiple countries and continents is the fact that what we need is people to be free enough to kind of to get the best out of the environments that we've got to, to you know, for sustainability, to, you know, to, to create communities that have got the chance to grow and to thrive and to solve some of the problems that we're going to, we have now and are going to have in the future. And that comes from having that sort of, that, that growth in that mindset and that ability to, to, to expand and, and just work together in a, in an organic way rather than it needing to be, I've got to get this right. Otherwise we're not going to be able to move on because, that's never going to solve anything because as soon as you've done that, you've already missed the boat for the next things that need to be looked after. Yeah. It's, we need to foster something that allows for group creativity. I think China is a great uh, contrast. One of the great things about China is that it's a great, it's the contrast for everything we do in the United States and the West now, right? It's, it's the big foil for everything. And education is just a great example where in the United States right now, in the last 10 years, there's been a big push for STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math. And the idea being, Oh my God, we've moved so far away from, hard numbers and real facts that it's, you know, we're getting very wishy-washy because we emphasize, you know, less, less tangible stuff. In China, it's the opposite. They feel like we've drilled everybody down into being such uh, mechanistic automatons that we need to emphasize creativity. So they're going the exact opposite direction. And I think ultimately you, you need, you need both. You need to have people grounded in reality, but the more important thing for solving all of the problems we're talking about is definitely the creative element. You need people who can work in teams and create together, you know, with and generate group creativity, where the team together can come up with all these things. And it's if that's the sort of environment we need, we don't need these lone wolves who, who think they know everything and try and do this and that. We need people to work together to solve these problems. That same thing we talked about that, you know, in the willingness to to try and fail publicly, openly amongst peers, and to know that you know you're not going to be you know, pigeonholed and mocked or anything for it. And then you're all going to 
try and move forward. And that as you fail, but stumble towards solutions together, you're all getting better. The company is getting better. The products are getting better. The customers get better services, whatever it happens to be. I'm using just business context. I think it's, it's the, it's the way it will happen. And I think if we go back to that sort of tree analogy again, it's that sense of, so I need to be good at STEM or actually I don't do STEM. I only do creativity or I only do this. I only do that. And it's that kind of, well, it's not an either or it's the fact that, you know, from my own experience, you know, as a creative person, as a musician, as someone who the arts have been incredibly important and part of my career, that isn't to say that language and numbers and and being able to build a business and to understand how these things work weren't an, an integral part of all that. They absolutely were. So it wasn't you put one foot in one camp and one foot in the other. It's it's a kind of a blended idea of you put your energies into the things that um, are joyful for you and you and you want to put more energy into, but it's it, it shifts by degree rather than an either or. And and I think you said there about sort of companies and, and society at large. It's that kind of even within an entire company, the creativity comes from lots of different elements working together. Your your particular thing might be finance or it might be marketing or it might be whatever, but it's the creative ability to work together across all these different facets, which actually makes, you know, the community of your company and the people within it and the organization something that's going to thrive. And I think that's that's certainly true from a, a learning and an educational point of view as well. Yeah, I think I think that's really true. I always remember I had a, an ex-girlfriend who was a, an R&D engineer, a very creative person. And she always took, um, oh, she just, she got very angry whenever it was said that, you know, people who were doing music or whatever were, you know, were specifically creative, right? I think she made a good point that you know creativity creativity comes in all sorts of forms. She felt like she was being creative every day, uh, doing the work that she was doing, sort of experimenting, exploring with these technical, industrial, biomedical type designs. I think that's that's true, and expanding it. I think a lot of us we don't want to hear bad things about ourselves. Like we don't want to hear that we're not creative or that we're not uh, smart or this or that. And I think a good reason, one of the reasons why we push to have our self characterized this way or to have other people characterized in other ways. Cause we're, you know, we're trying to build up our sense of self and we're trying to feel confident and comfortable with who we are. But it is like you said, so much better to have a wider vision for what creativity is and how it integrates and knits together with other people and other processes and other ways of being and being creative around you. It, it's gotta be productive. It's gotta be building up towards something. It's, you know, it's gotta be a tree that wants to be part of a forest, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I was just um earlier on I was um looking out into my garden with my wife and I was like, I hadn't quite realized I've got a, a rose that's going up a fence and it's naturally as it started to bloom coming out towards the light as much as it possibly can do. And then there was some that had gone up through another piece of um another shrub and was coming out the top and I was just like life just does what it needs to do to thrive you know and and it, everyone's different in terms of what you know you've got the basics of what you need but also within that you've got it integral to who you are and what it is that you want and i think like you said before that sort of freedom to be able to do that and for and for us to organically just surround ourselves with the people that we need get the nutrients and the minerals and whatever that means to any given person in order to do that then it all just becomes like it's an exciting world that will naturally take care of itself because that's what essentially is is what the world is rather than we need to find something which is so left field that we don't even can't even contemplate it yeah it's it's true if you 
give your put yourself in the right place and you give yourself those those basic ingredients those basic building blocks people are capable of way more than they expect right when they start something before they start something when they're just young or when they're unsure and yeah having the the space to to try this stuff and then over time building the self confidence to to do it to keep doing it to keep trying to keep exploring is huge it, it's huge and it's it's really crazy I, I know a lot of people who are older over 40 45 you know much older than 50 one of the most common things I hear is always they just wish they'd done whatever it was they imagined they talked about. There were things holding them back, sort of internal you know, dilemmas within themselves or their sense of self, sense of this, sense of that. But like you said, you know, you're, you're a, a living thing in the world and you're, you've got what you need. So do what you what comes to mind to thrive in a lot of ways. But we have blocks. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, do you one of the bigger problems I see with education is just these these blocks people develop during this process, right? They've left their home. You know, they're not in that sort of full spectrum learning type environment. They start to pigeonhole themselves and think of what they can and can't do. And what I've noticed is people when they're older, that all kind of falls away because they're like, oh, like none of it mattered. But there's a period between God knows, eight, 16 to 45, which is like our prime years in a lot of ways where people can be really tied down and held back. And that's something everyone should think about. And just if you feel that's true, break, break it, break it away sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to that kind of toddler scenario of kind of you, you do what you do and the world's your oyster. And then like I say, bit by bit, it seems to sort of get chipped away and, and, and changing that. And I, I think, you know, sometimes just even having these conversations makes a difference because if it just makes one person go, oh yeah, I've not really quite thought of it like that. You know, what could I do? You know, what is it that I've been told or I'm now saying to myself that's stopping me, you know, having this conversation with that person or having this job or having this in my life, which I've always liked, but don't quite manage to ever do. It's, you know, all of these things are a general positive energy, which then affects you, but also affects the people around you and, and all those people that are influenced in the same kind of way. Um, and, and I'm interested, is there is there a teacher or a school experience that you remember and I guess this could be at any age, bearing in mind, like you say, that the traveling and the learning you've done in different places that that you kind of feel had a really sort of big impact. And why was that? Yeah, I had an impact. I got very lucky when I was a teenager. I met an older, older man. I mean, he was in his 80s, I believe, when I first met him. And I ended up doing research unrelated, stuff unrelated to, to China and, and stuff like that. And But I got a, a very sort of accomplished, wise old mentor when I was a teenager. And we knew each other. He died actually in 2020. But I got a, a dozen years of encouragement out of him, out of a different way to see the world. And also someone who is my, you know, he was my grandparents' age, right? He was older than my parents at the time. So it gave me a very strong perspective about, you know, how things change as you age. And even it's a very weird thing to, to have as a teenager, someone telling you what's probably going through your parents' minds right? Mm -hmm. It was a very weird thing. And it was one of those things that opened it up. And it made you think, you know, made me think back then, oh, well, oh, you know, you're kind of caught in your family dramas and all that at that time. And, you know, you get a, a perspective on that. And it gives you that clarity and you can sort of move yourself forward. And it was just someone who always encouraged curiosity, the willingness to learn to try. And it helped keep, you know, the spark alive to keep doing that, which is what a lot of people just need just one, even just one person that will uh, will do that. And the great thing, like I said, it wasn't someone I met on the other side of the world, right? It was someone 
uh, whose home I could walk to when I was a teenager. And I, the thing I love the most about that is the sense that there's always another perspective or another generation of it's that kind of you know certainly now as someone who's got kids you kind of think oh if I only knew then what I knew now or now I'm older I can kind of see where that's going but then you forget that you know there's my parents or or like say grandparents that are looking back going I remember what it was like to be that you know the parental age with with kids still at school or, and 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 I thought I knew it all then or, or the, I had it all figured out and then it's very different when like say you've got that wisdom of them being another 20 or 30 years older than and seeing all those different layers and I think I think from a learning experience and sort of even education generally as well that sense of of multi-generations and just ex- life experiences that's such a big such a big facet which is is really something which is overlooked oh yeah i think that it's one of the bigger challenges we have today we have a very we have a youth cult going on right basically since the 60s we're obsessed with youth and we're, I mean, every, obviously humans have always been really into it but it causes particularly younger generations to always think that this moment is new and totally different i'm unique and there's always been a, a sense of that but it's really played up by the culture we live in and so the deep problem with that is that we lose context and we lose contact with the older generations, with our parents' generation and with grandparents. Like for this, this person I was talking about, he, I remember him telling me about how his uh, father was in the war and he meant World War I. Do you know what I mean? And so it's just, it was a, a sense of scale and a depth of history. And I think that this is one of the most important things that we can get. And something that's really influenced why I do the work I do is to get, you know, get the, the sense of the depth of history. Uh, and you feel that in the generations around you. When you see people who are old, it's not just because they the wrinkles aren't just there because they're no longer youthful. It's because they've experienced uh, life because there's decades of, of time that have passed and they've absorbed it. And we don't do a good job of keeping you know, young people in contact with older generations and maintaining lines of communication and of knowledge transfer. We do that very poorly in you know Britain and the United States. And it's a, a deep challenge when you have these cleavages between all the generations. Everybody's obsessed with generations. And they're always talking about all these generations as if they're at war. The boom in the United States, it's the boomers and the millennials and Gen X and Gen Z. And it's always in this, I'm different, I'm special, we're new, we're this. And it's played up by companies that are using marketing and the demographics to sell different products and all that. But really this sense of these generations has gotten out of control it's we've we've gotten so obsessed with our own little generation and our little minor differences we don't know anything about the sweep of history we've lost that that sense of depth and and is there a piece of advice generally that you were given that's made a big difference or maybe now we're talking about that generational thing something you might tell even your younger self now that you think would be really helpful huh i i just think it's you just don't I honestly I think I think self-consciousness in general an unwillingness to try things that are that publicly or to, to try to fail to and to just to always push your curiosity I think those are huge things just keep going for it um, keep doing what's you know what's calling to you what things out in the world call out to you and your attention and your interest and really just pursuing them and not it's a challenge. I mean, you look back and you just remember what you were most interested in as a teenager. And you know, maybe you don't want to push that all the way. You know, you end up like with a broken body skateboarding somewhere. <laughs> but it's you really got to keep trusting yourself, but also keep listening. 
right? So that's kind of the balance, right? You you are first trusting yourself and trying to push things forward and speaking even though you don't know all the words, but you're also listening and you're trying to learn from others at the same time and sort of doing that 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 two step I think is pretty good advice. Yeah, absolutely. And is there a resource that's had a big impact um, on your life? And it could be anything from a, a podcast, a book, a video, song, anything which you just you just go, yeah, that there's something definitely there which has has been incredibly important to me. As, as a joke, I'll just say the internet in general, right? Because there's so much on there. <laughs> uh, the internet has also obviously been good, uh, but I would say that for me, the work that really gave me that sense of history and which I, I see what I do is kind of continuation of this was uh, when I was a teenager, actually, I first read Guns, Germs and Steel, which is a book by Jared Diamond, actually a professor in the uh, geography department in UCLA, a very nice person who really helped crack open some things about history and gave, put pointed things in the right direction about how to learn about this complexity of the world we live in and people and why they are the way they are and countries and why they are the way they are and why people are wealthy and why they're poor and why there's violence and all this stuff that, you know, if you don't, if you, if you're, if I hadn't been able to look all the way back, right, he goes back tens of thousands of years, it makes it much harder to get a handle on things, right? There's, I think it's Winston Churchill who said that the farther, uh, the farther back you look, the farther forward you can see something to that effect. And for me, this, that, that book and that work was very helpful uh, years ago now. Yeah, quite a long time ago, but I think that that was a good one. And then also, I mean, there's just I love there's all sorts. I mean, there's amazing podcasts. I mean, podcasts and audiobooks are the the best way to do things while you're doing other things. I guess is what I would say now. And just the sheer number of resources is pretty pretty remarkable. And and the number of you know you can if you have the self discipline and the, and the motivation, you can learn almost anything you want to learn on the internet now. And I'm I've been very surprised and impressed by mechanics, plumbers, electricians, people who we're commonly, if you're a bit of a white collar worker, you, you never grew up around those sorts of people, or they're not your friend group, or you're generally in the in the circles you run in. Just the the, the way that they learn anything they need to learn, uh, doing you know, on a YouTube video, it's like, oh, I know most of this stuff, but I'll learn this, I'll learn that. We're always learning these days. And whatever we're doing, we should have it as a constant part of our life. And it's more more possible than ever to do it. Yeah. And so just just before we wrap up, tell us a little bit about how that looks for you in terms of the work that you're doing and, and, and how you're sort of interacting and, and sharing your sharing those skills. Yeah. So I'm finishing right now, I'm finishing up a, a book that's going to come out later this year. It's called China Unraveled, and it puts together a lot of the stuff I've talked about. I didn't talk as much today, but about China and why this country is the way it is, where it came from, why why it looks the way it does now and kind of how things are going to head south in a bad way pretty soon. And just to give people a context for that. And in the course of that book, it explains a lot of these things that we've touched on just, well, why is this here? And why is that there? And why is this country wealthy and all that? And it, you know, going through that book, it gives people that sense of, of the world and why it's kind of laid out the way it is. And that is, is I think, valuable. But I've also personally wanted for a while now to just make an online course or make something that will basically use use things like Google Earth and all the stuff that we have to just show people uh, why why things, you know, to help them map their world, basically. So I'm very interested in all those technologies and stuff, and I'm going to do something with it at some point. Uh, it's becoming more and more essential. But yeah, personally, I'm learning all the time, too. 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 I'm just curious in in terms of you know your perception of, of China because I think it's worth just just thinking about whatever happens in that part of the world has an effect on absolutely everybody. So do you just sort of very briefly just ha have sure. a kind of a, a vision as to how that might look and, and what people might be able to do? Um, I guess even even just having it in their frame of reference in terms of how they sort of progress through their life. Yeah, sure. So we've we have a very schizophrenic view of china and often when things aren't looking too bad or aren't looking too good in china we always ignore china the western china this has gone on for hundreds of years you kind of ignore it when things are going well you get really freaked out but the gist of what's happened going to happen in china is that china's fall is going to be as impressive as its rise that's the, the gist of it and the scale of the problems that that country is facing are so enormous that just whenever i lay it out to people they're always like okay wow well, I guess I don't need to worry too much about that country sort of taking over the world, at least. You have a lot of other things to worry about, but it is it is the, you know, it's like I said, it's the house that globalization built and globalization is coming undone. So China will as well. And there's a lot to talk about about that and how it happens and why. But the the key thing to always remember, and I think it's the primary myth that if, if I dispel this really quickly, people will be on a much better footing for where things are, is that there's not one China. There's not, not just, I don't just mean Taiwan. Within China, there's whole other countries. And we know that just, I mean, there's there are provinces in China with over 100 million people. There's provinces in China that are larger than any European country outside of Russia. And there's multiple ones. So unless things are going very well and everything is hunky-dory, those there's a lot of conflict, a lot of tension. And what always happens in Chinese history is that things get pulled together for a while, and then suddenly the, the center loses its hold, and things spiral out of control. And that's what we're going to see probably within the next 10 years. And, and this is key. I mean, unfortunately, we're going to see problems like this around around the world. I mean, a lot of people are worried that something like that might even be happening with the United Kingdom because there are challenges to the integration of you know, Northern Ireland and Scotland and all that. And it's a, it's a challenge. And kind of in general, I think China is a great way to, to get a get the get handle on this the problem of course is that china is so complex and so large and so old that it kind of makes it a bit more of a, a challenge to to dive into it but that is that's the key thing right there's not one china uh that the china we know is going to crack into pieces and it could be a very scary event right uh, just to give people some context the you know before world war ii before the 20th century both of the worst wars in human history were chinese civil wars a civil war in the 19th century and then another one in the 17th century and in addition, most the worst natural disasters in the world, besides, uh, well, besides disease outbreaks, they're sort of global, right? The the worst ones are are actually floods and the associated problems in China. These horrific things on the scale that people in the West can't comprehend. And so when things do get bad in China, they get really, really, really bad. And so that's why in Chinese history, when they think about politics and economics and stuff, they don't think about representative democracy or this or that or presidents. They, they think about basically order and chaos. That's it. You often get you often get a really tyrannical, horrific dictatorship. But the other option it, from the Chinese perspective is worse. And that's like sort of unadulterated chaos. Like, like we don't know. Right. So just just a bit more context, the northern China, which is where the seat of government is near Beijing and the sort of big region around it, that is the bloodiest battlefield on earth, right? There's been, Chinese civilization's been around for like 3,500 years, and there's been near relentless constant warfare there uh, 
since there's a lot of structural problems that create these recurring cycles of, of just horrific violence. And so that's what's lurking under the surface, right? Is when things go bad, that's where things go. So that's a big reason why people are always curious, like, why did we support China? And why did our governments allow this to happen? It's like, well, first of all, they, thought, they didn't think China would get this far. <laughs> all these problems, they, they did a lot better than people were expecting. But also they know, they, they saw it from more of a compassionate side, partially, is because they, they saw how bad things were and how bad things could get if everything was just allowed to crumble. And so people, you know, the West was willing to you know, try and make things better there. And they made things a lot better, but it's not sustainable. The, the the creature that's been created in China isn't sustainable. And I think that that really nicely takes us full circle in terms of it's all about geography. It's all about history. It It's all about the things that have always been true. And we're just very sort of fixated on the, the immediacy of where we are now. But a lot of the answers and a lot of the understanding comes from that breadth and that education and that kind of sort of knowledge a bit like we said about the the generations you know that's true over hundreds of years and there are people that obviously can explain that and 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 talk about that in a way which you know I think we should all be learning about anyway to sort of see how that goes so yeah thank you for that it's really it's really amazing to sort of start to get a picture of that and how important that's going to be for, for obviously for China but also for everyone and, and like we said that globalization of once one piece starts to 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 crumble a little bit it's going to have a massive effect on everyone else so yeah thank you so much jason it's been fascinating chatting to you tell us where people can find out more and, and how they can get in touch sure yeah so it was, it was great i love this conversation i love talking about education too I, I do a lot of educational type conversations but talking about education in specific is really really great people are so lost and confused right now and all the kids who are just sitting at home and staring at the internet all day and that's suddenly their only education Right. There's no context for it. I mean, that's that's a rough thing. So, yeah, anybody who, who heard this and, and likes geography, likes this kind of stuff, I really recommend it. I think it's going to pay dividends and it is really the given for the world. Like the geography is, is our environment. That's what we've adapted ourselves to. That's why you can tell this a person based on a person's skin color. You can tell within a degree of latitude where their ancestry is. It's because the, you know, the, the skin color is adapting to the amount of solar irradiation, which just depends on where you are on the planet. And things like that happen at, at every level. It almost boggles the mind. So I'll leave it at that. But yeah, if anyone wants to learn more about me or anything I talk about or anything I do, you can check out first the, the China Unraveled podcast is a podcast I have where I go through different things about China. It's kind of short and accessible. Uh, I think I recommend it. People, people enjoy it. Also check out just a website. I have some articles, stuff like that. Uh, it's jasonsheftel.net. There's also a lot of interviews I've done about specific things about China, economics, military, war. Are we going to war with Ta over Taiwan? How would that happen? How would it play out? Is Russia allied with China? All these things, we unfortunately don't have a great way to navigate even what an alliance means in the world we live in. All these terms that we throw around and from the last 75 years, they don't quite apply in the way they did. So it's all changing really rapidly. So getting a handle on that is, is very helpful. I think those interviews are great. And you can also check out, of course, uh, TikTok. I put on little videos. That's really fun. That's a, I love this. The one Chinese company that exploded in popularity in the West. Uh, so I'm definitely putting stuff on there. So TikTok, Twitter, uh, there's a YouTube channel. You can check out live streams, videos, stuff I'll do that I do on there. And there's going to be more of that too, hopefully, because a lot of this stuff is so visual that particularly when the book is done, uh, everyone, I'm going to have great visual stuff where people can just see it. Then I'm going to have Jason like talking all these words and there's no image. You have to create the image in your head. It's better if you could just see it and you can learn something, you know, 
that takes hundreds of pages in a book, maybe that you can just learn in two minutes uh, in a video. So that's great. And yeah, that's a number of places for people to find me. So those are those are good ones. Fantastic. And we'll have links to all these sorts of things in the show notes as well. So you can click straight through. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely fascinating. And um, yeah, wish you the best of luck with the book. And um, yeah, thanks again for being here. Thanks you. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.